Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. Today's guest comes to us from the first apartment I ever lived in in New York City. Or rather, across the hall. In 1992, I moved into a railroad apartment at 163 East 89th Street on Manhattan's Upper East Side. And my roommate and I worked on Wall Street. And in the identical apartment across the hall were some opera singers. And I was in their apartment one day hanging out with one of them, Claire Gustafson, when I noticed a poster on her wall for an off-Broadway performance of the work of the cartoonist Edward Gorey uh, called Amphigory. And I said to her, I said, I saw that show in Philadelphia in the tone of an arts connoisseur. And her reply was, I was in that show. Uh, and that was that we were friends with our neighbors across the hall. I haven't seen Claire in 30 years since I moved out of uh, that apartment down to Tribeca. Since that time, she has toured and performed as an opera singer and actress worldwide, including roles on roller skates and in multiple pieces with the Mark Morris Dance Group. She's been an artist manager, a teacher of voice, dance, and fitness, and is the founder and chief baker of a custom-baked goods <laughs> company. She's worked in a range of fascinating industries, but her unifying passion is to help entertain and guide people to live their best life and perform at their maximum potential. Ultimately, all those varied interests and experiences led her to group and individual coaching and psychotherapy. She's a certified professional coach, a certified gestalt therapist, and a licensed psychoanalyst in the state of New York. She has worked with everyone from homeless youths in New York City to female leaders in Saudi Arabia. And today we're having a reunion. Welcome to the show, Claire. It's so great to see you again. Thank you so much, Duff and Matt. It's great to be here and after 30 years, hear your voice and see your smiling face. <laughs> present moment traveling town to town the mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now whoa right here right now Social media, thank you. Claire reached out on LinkedIn. Uh, I sent her a note uh, uh, back saying, let's get on the phone and talk. And and we came to the realization that even though we had, you know, our lives could not be more different, uh, we've sort of circled back to a similar place uh, spiritually. Um, but why don't we start with the good stuff first? Those cookies, your uh, Instagram account for anyone who wants their mouth to start watering, go look at Clairelicious underscore delicious. It's C-L-A-R-E, Clairelicious. Uh, my God, how do you have time to do anything else? Those are like works of art. Thank you so much. Um, it tickled me. 
So <laughs> somehow, you know, I, I'll be doing fitness. I'll be doing something and these, some idea will come to me for some kind of like my favorite are butterfly cookies. And then it goes sort of down this rabbit hole of how I'm going to make that, you know, what, what cooking material would be best. Um, and, you know, it's so funny. I've been thinking so much lately about like baking, opera singing, psychotherapy, <laughs> coaching, you know, how do all these things come together? And there is something about being tickled mm -hmm. and, and really the power of wanting to connect with people. Mm -hmm. Through creation too. They're all sort of acts of, you know, right. acts of creation right. in different ways. Exactly. And, and the need in all, and each of those things to be fully present, like mm -hmm. that, that requirement to be in the here and now, um, really lends itself to that creative process. And, you know, it's so funny to talk about the baking recently. I did some workshops on cooking and culture and leadership <laughs> and, you know, how do all those things come together? And and I made some coconut sticky rice with mango three ways. And it, it started I with this idea of making coconut sticky rice with mango that looks like nigiri sushi. And, you know, those mangoes are really hard to cut. These <laughs> perfect little squares to have like a perfect little thing. And, and that feeling came up. I was, it was a total mess. I had somewhere to be. And then, you know, I started becoming really crabby about like, uh, what am I going to do? I don't even know if I want to go on this picnic. And I realized I had <laughs> rice paper rolls and I made them into summer rolls. It was perfect. They were even better for the picnic. And, you know, it kind of shows how these things are connected and that there's, there's no mistakes in cooking, only new recipes. Ah. And so how can we kind of take those ideas with us to be more creative, be more flexible, be more open to possibility. And in the end, I could have bought a mound of, you know, sticky rice and some mango and everybody would have been pretty happy too because it was delicious. <laughs> now, I love cooking and baking, but I, you know, I've always followed that old sort of adage that, you know, uh, baking is a science and, or, and, and cooking is an art, right? I mean, with my cooking I, I realize I can just kind of be liberal with this ingredient and taste it and like, oh, it need you know, and you can, I can do it without a recipe. I can, but with baking, it seems like I, I can't mess around. Like I, I just have to, I follow the recipe as exactly as I can in order to get the right results. Cause I feel like, you know, it's like, oh no, I'll just won't put the egg in it. I'll put something else in it. I'll put a little dollop of cream and then it comes out like rock hard or something. So I guess maybe if you really understand the science, then you can start. I don't know. Absolutely. So kind Mixing of knowing the skills, knowing the boundaries and how to play within those boundaries is sort of another theme that fits within mm -hmm. cooking. And you just have to be open to outcome, not attached to outcome. So if you want to go ahead and bake a cake without some eggs, you know, you have to be ready for it to be pretty like a pancake. <laughs> not attached to outcome. Okay. That's good. <laughs> So, so when, when we lived, when we lived on the Upper East Side, it was great because it was so New York. I, we could hear you guys singing, rehearsing or practicing or whatever you were doing across the hall. How did, how, tell us, uh, you know, the, the, the short version, not the 30 year version 
of how you go from being an opera singer to a gestalt therapist, how that happened. Right. There were so many careers in between those two things. Um, I mean, I sort of felt I like I fell into each career, sort of everything is within a context. It's sort of made sense at the time. It's like, now I'm doing this. Um, some of it I feel was based on what I can't do, you know? So it's like, well, I'm not going to go out and do this, but I can do this. Um, it, it definitely, it definitely led that way. You know, I was one of those moms who did like a million bake sales and I was like, why don't you sell your bake goods? So I started, started doing that, but I definitely am sort of led again. I love connecting to your book and the idea of being tickled. It's like, how do you lead with what tickles you? What excites you? What motivates you? And we all can feel so stuck in one thing. And, you know, what is it like, you know, if one thing doesn't work out, you can try something else. Oh, wait, maybe that's a maybe that's a better question. How do you you know, you've had a bunch of very different um, uh, things that you did. When how do you pull the trigger on the move? Right. Because that's the one thing that's hard for a lot of us. Right. I was a business writer Mm. until it suddenly occurred to me 30 years in that I didn't have to be. And I never even thought about it. Um, where do you find the ability to be so fluid and to say, you know what, I'm doing this now. How do you stay in that kind of mind space? I mean, sometimes it can be really hard, you know, that there, I've definitely had moments where I'm like, whatever I'm doing now really isn't working for me. And I certainly have felt stuck, depressed, you know, immobile, paralyzed. And sometimes it takes a little trial and error to figure out the next thing. Um, sometimes it's desperation. I mean, I was teaching fitness classes and I tore my meniscus. <laughs> so, you know, and, and was baking and I realized maybe like for my body for the rest of my life, this is not, not going to be the best. Uh, but I think I also always wanted to be a therapist. So it's like, you know, thinking about all of the things that are out there and kind of giving each one a try and then dipping your toe in a little more and a little more until you you're fully in. So after we just, we reconnected the other day uh, and you sent me a paper uh, with, uh, as you (laughs) pointed out, possibly one of the greatest titles for a paper ever phenomenon, phenomenology, existentialism and Eastern thought in gestalt therapy. (laughs) So first of all, what the hell does that mean? And second of all, tell us about gestalt therapy, because it's got a kind of it's got a yoga flavor to it. Yeah, it definitely does. And sort of when I heard from you and we talked, what really excited me about Tickled and the common common sense guide to the present moment is gestalt therapy is the therapy of the here and now. Mm-hmm. So we experience everything in the present. So whether we're talking about the past or the future, we can only experience that now. And what is that like to fully be ourselves? And it's really all about awareness and what is, and sort of this paradoxical theory of change that, you know, the more we focus on how things should be, the harder change is. But it's when we allow things to be that change can happen. So phenomenology, it's basically 
the awareness of, of things we can see, feel, hear, touch, sort of, I like to just think of it as the facts. And then, you know, we kind of get into what is the subjective story. And it's in the, you know, how do we tell the difference between, you know, what's our personal stories that kind of hold us back or get us stuck and, and kind of what's right in front of us. And the Eastern thought, yeah, it's, it's again, sort of going into the body. What is it like to be present? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been so excited to read your book and hear about your life and how you've come to this place. I kind of got there um, by surprise. Uh, quarantine, um, the quiet. Well, I think like I, I'm of the opinion that trying to pinpoint causality in our lives is a fool's errand now, right? Because everything right. leads to everything. But if you had to pick a a a, a fight like a straw that broke the camel's back or something, the quiet mm-hmm. of quarantine. Um, uh, it only took a couple weeks and suddenly I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, my mind, something is up here. It's uh, working differently. And it wasn't scary because it felt um, important, right? It felt like an improvement over whatever it had been doing before. Uh, but like, definitely it, I was like, something is up and uh, it, took me a little while to figure out and I was like oh it's presence this is what they mean like I had a sort of uh this increase in awareness uh that took a bit to sort out Uh, and I was like oh it's just I'm paying what or I'm I'm able to grasp the present moment in a way that I never could before but it wasn't by virtue when I said by accident it wasn't by virtue of trying right like I wasn't trying to pay more attention. Suddenly I just realized, oh my God, my, my powers of attention have improved, uh, out of nowhere. Um, and so, yeah, so tickled was sort of my attempt to try to put that down. Um, but, and I think the quarantine, you know, the lack of movement, uh, the lack of, uh, inputs, right. So, you know, I work at home, so I wasn't even really going a lot of places, right? So I'd go to the store. Like sometimes I'd go down to the city. But then in early quarantine, I was like, oh, my God, we move around too much. And then I thought, well, wait, where was I even going? And um, it occurred to me that time we spend in transit, no matter where it is we're going to or from, we're always thinking of we tend, or sorry, for me, I tended always to be thinking of the thing that I was headed towards. And so if I was going to the city tomorrow, today, I, I would stop paying attention to today. Right. If we, if like, if we're going down for three days, I'd be getting all my shit in order and sort of preparing for, to be where I was. And I would stop sort of being in the here and now. So I think something about the lack of movement in quarantine sort of, of course, made that go away. And suddenly I was like, oh, my God, my brain is more focused. Anyway. Right. When you let things be. Right. Yes. But it was it's kind of like forced on me, but it's fine. Right. Like, I'll take it. But I just wasn't uh, I was I wasn't distracted as much as I had been before. So as a segue, 
you're teaching a um a weekend workshop at the Omega Institute, which is right across the river here, across the Hudson from me, um, uh, next year called Leading from the Inside Out. And I was looking through the brochure and you're talking about what the stuff that people would learn. And one of the things that you said is uh, that they'll learn how to remove the interruptions that block the natural flow of experience. And to me, that's what quarantine did. And suddenly right. I was experiencing my own life for the first time right. in that way. So, yeah. How do you do that? That's how do you amazing. teach people to do that? So some of it, you know, could come down to almost one word. Should. And people are always shoulding themselves or shouldn't themselves. So it's like, that's one way to notice. It's like part of it, uh, there's an author um, who wrote a book called The Fourfold Way, Angelus Arian, and she has four communication principles that sort of envelop all of this. The first one is show up and choose to be present. So it's the idea that we even have a choice and can make, make this choice to be present. And sometimes it kind of to you comes magically. Uh, the second one is pay attention to what has heart and meaning. So that pay attention, that awareness, everything starts, you know, with that spark of, of awareness about what's really important and bringing us energy and where that energy is flowing in the moment. So the shouldn't comes in. The next one is speak the truth without blame or judgment. So that's always, never, but however, are these real interruptions to the flow of experience. So you're having, you know, you're having this great experience, but, and what would happen if you stayed for a moment before the but, before the however, in that, in that delightful aliveness? So, and then the final one, which I mentioned earlier, is be open to outcome, not attached to outcome. So that, you know, being so focused on this goal to be in the process, to be in the moment, you know, really allows for more aliveness and flow of experience. Matt, you've always been a pretty chill guy. Has, um, have like I looking back at it, I had a should problem myself, right? <laughs> I was thought I wrote books about people should be doing things differently than they are. Um, is that, has that been an issue for you or is, or have you basically skirted that? I like how your should issue wasn't, wasn't like for your, what you should be doing. <laughs> right. It was, it was always what other people should, 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 should be, not doing. be doing. I wrote entire <laughs> books saying you're doing yeah. this wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've always, uh, you know, I, even, you know, in, in leadership roles or in anything else, I've. I've never been too prescriptive and I've never been, you know, like a very authoritarian kind of leader. Um, you know, it's always trying to understand the flow of the organization and, uh, or, or whatever's happening and trying to enable that flow rather than getting in the way or inserting my own, um, my own self on top of it too much. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very interesting. I know I, I just, you know, th this just made me think, and I, I had read Claire, the, your brochure about the, um, 
the uh, it's it's for uh, the workshop for women leaders. Um, you know, the new paradigm for women leaders. And it it made me think this this weekend. I, I was telling you we did a hockey tournament for my daughter's team down in Lake Placid, and we recently named the leadership team on, on the hockey team, which is you know the captain and the alternates. And they're they're finding it challenging. We had to have a little meeting with them. They're you know teenage girls who are all of a sudden in this leadership position, probably for the first time in their lives, but they have to lead their peers. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have to lead their friends and they want to be popular and they want to be, they want everything to just be fun and to go well. But part of the role is if somebody's out of line, somebody's not kind of participating in warm up, somebody's not paying attention, listening to the, you know, the coach's instructions and stuff like that, they kind of have to be the, the ones who step up in that leadership role. And it never occurred to us how challenging that might be for some of them. It's interesting. It is. It's it's really challenging. And I always go back to this speak the truth without blame or judgment is and the idea of you know, how are we led by fear or how do we want to impress people? And if we could kind of turn that around in how do we connect? And how mm-hmm. do we connect in the language we use? And a lot of it is fixed. We spend so much time thinking about communicating, we forget about listening. And how do we make sure? So the holiday season is coming up. And I think that the best gift we could give is an hour of non-judgmental listening. (laughs) And if we could all learn how to do that, you know, I, I just am picturing these girls together and remembering, you know, what it was like to be that age and, you know, try to all get along. But it's just really basic ideas of, you know, being curious, asking your friends open-ended questions, what's their experience in this idea of speaking the truth without blame or judgment. You know, it's like, when you did this, this is how I felt about it, as opposed to, you know, remembering that we don't need to, I think, you know, it's the pointing fingers and telling people what they've done wrong, as opposed to how I'm experiencing it, which leads to more possibilities rather than defensiveness. Cool. Cool. Yeah. There's so, so much in there. And I mean, I, it, it's interesting what you said about listening or it's like you were chatting with our, our, our head coach, Sully, my, my buddy and our head coach, such a great coach and such a great like team leader that way. That's exactly the advice that he gave to the players at this little <laughs> leadership meeting is he said, you know, he, he was like one of the most important skills that all of you players and everyone on this team needs to learn is listening. Everybody wants to kind of, you know, be talking and say, yeah, that's amazing. You didn't talk yeah. to Sully before this, did you? I didn't. But I have to say, like, the biggest. <laughs> he talked. He, he might have talked. But to I you. do. But I would love to talk <laughs> to him. I do actually think that was one of my own biggest life lessons and and. uh somewhat like a feeling of shame came up and realizing that the way that I wanted to communicate and connect with people was, was through talking and Mm. sort of being like, Oh, you know, you're having problems with your kids. I'm having problems with my kids. And sort of Mm. the idea of, I wasn't necessarily listening, but more waiting for my turn to talk. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That's me. That's me. That's my problem. (laughs) And um, my life, like I would say that is the biggest change is um, and the most delightful 
honor that I have as a psychotherapist and a coach is to listen to people and to, you know, hear their stories and just be with them in their stories. And again, you know, holiday season, it's something we can, can all practice and give to each other. You know, what is it like to be seen, heard and acknowledged? And what is it like to give that gift to someone else? So Marguerite's birthday was on Sunday and, um, uh, we gave her a new gerbil house, like a big giant thing, but because she was, she's one of those people who's demands to know in advance. She tries as much as she can to find out what you got her before she's opening it. So I did something, I did something I've never, I've always wanted to do, but never did. So I took, I printed out a picture. I didn't want to bring the thing into the house because she'd know what it was. So I printed out a picture of the gerbil house and I put it in an envelope and then I folded that envelope and put it in another envelope. And then I put that in a manila envelope and then I put that in a (laughs) CD envelope, that in a U.S. Postal Service envelope, in a U.S. Postal Service box. And then we wrapped it in two other bags and watching her unwrap it was one of the greatest gift giving experiences I've ever had because she was just um, so I think I'm going to do that for Joey for Christmas. And in the middle of it is going to be I will listen to you for one hour. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's yeah. all you get for the it. year. One hour of listening. <laughs> um, however, it has to be non judgmental. You're yeah. not trying to. Fix anything. You're not, and in fact, you become more curious and ask open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a question for you that it, relates. To I just, pickles. just on that note, can I just say it? It took me, it took me years, like years of of marriage, to realize that when my <laughs> wife was talking to me about her problems, that I didn't have to fix them, and that. I mean, I, I, it's just such a natural tendency where like already I'm, I go into such problem solving mode, you know, it's like, she's complaining about something or just venting about something, whether it's something in our house or, you know, something with her relationships. And I'd always want to like, just insert. And then I realized after a while, oh, I actually, and you know, apologies, Deb, I I don't even really need to listen. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to, you know, nod my head a lot. Be there for her. Be there, be, there, be present, be there. acknowledge, so, nod my head, empathize. Absolutely. Like, yes. Okay, oh, Claire, yeah. I've so got a question a for you. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> in, in Tickled, um, one of the things, one of my big things is quantification, right? Yeah. As we count things, it leads us to compare things, which leads mm. us to distract ourselves out of the moment because it's like, I don't have enough. This isn't as many as I thought. It's more than it was supposed to be. Do you find in your therapy, uh, I'd be curious to know if uh, the, the, the counting and quantification of our lives is a thing that um, your, your clients uh, grapple with. Like, I'm of the opinion just from the media and sort of looking around me that everyone, including me, all of us, we just count too many things. And that distracts yeah. us out of what's happening to us. Is that, do you see that in your practice? Yeah. And, and sort of embedded in what you just said, is this idea that comparison is the thief of joy. 
I right. mean, so this idea of also sort of the addiction um, to what is wrong instead of what is right. Um, that was my problem for a lot of my life. I could, I yeah. was, I was better, quicker. It was like my, I had refined my skill for seeing what was wrong uh, to a way more like higher pitch than seeing what was right. It was like, it would pop out at me what was wrong before anything else. Right. And, and it's very painful. I mean, then that is a real stuck point of, Mm -hmm. of you're just staying in the non tickled part of your life. You know, if you can only have that focus, I mean, in a sense, I would say that's the main thing that drives people to therapy. Mm, right. You know, the idea of what's not working. Do you know, Matt, you know, the Gestalt thing, you know, the, the, where, where they do the pictures in relief thing. Yeah. Like, are, are you looking at an old woman or a young woman? Like, is, is that, that's one of the most famous ones, right, Claire, isn't it? Well, there is a picture. Yeah. Any of those mm-hmm. pictures where like the one I'm thinking of is sort of there's two, you can see a picture of two women or a base in the middle. Yeah. You know, with the point is we can only have focus on one place at a time. So again, you know, what is present for you in each moment and being able to focus on that fully, you know, is is something to practice and to understand and then fully be able to move through that. Yeah. And for me, one of the revelations too, in the, you know, in the last couple of years has been as we, as if we, if we clutch the thing that we think is there, you miss all the other things. And, um, from my current understanding, it's like we overvalue our own knowledge, right? Because your own knowledge, each uh, any of us, is simply the result of one person's set of life choices, right? And put up against all possible knowledge, right? Which is the things you could have done but didn't do, the things that other people do that you have never done. Uh, and then just also right. all the rest, the, the thing that we're so focused on is so tiny compared to the infinite possibility that sits outside it. And it dawned on me during that period in quarantine, I turned to Joey once and I was like, oh my God, everything I thought I knew was wrong. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't a horrible feeling. It was more like, I have been focused on the wrong part of this. And it suddenly, I could see, back to that point of awareness, suddenly I could just see more things right. than I had before when I would sort of, sort of grasp something mentally and fixate, or like, hold on, like certainty, Right. Um, right. And d- is that what Gestalt does? It sort of helps knock people off of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of more fluidy. It's it's already in the awareness of being able to notice you're doing that. Right. So everything starts with awareness. And so what is out of awareness can't really be helped so much. Mm-hmm. So how do we bring these patterns and thoughts and ideas? And, and even, you know, so much of us, so many of us are kind of caught 
um, are, are disconnected from our bodies and our feelings that we numb ourselves, we go right to the phone to even connect to what we're feeling and knowing in any present moment hmm. is an important start, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I even challenge you, I don't know if all you did was, you know, right or wrong. It had sense in the context of everything else that was happening. And it's how you can kind of have compassion for that part oh, of sure. you too. That sure. But my point is, it's like the, the realization of that has led to a more expansive appreciation of what is happening to me. So it was, right. it was what it was. Like, I'm not sitting here you know, convicting right. previous me of a failure to live properly, but it's like, um, it's, it's, uh, things have improved. Things are more interesting now. Uh, and, and everything that you've learned since that point is now right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? It's, just, it's just a bigger thing that I can't see past. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, um, on your, uh, we said at the beginning there, uh, uh, roll on roller skates. What's that? Where were you yeah, roller skating? I, on had stage? To, I was going to ask about that too. <laughs> so the show, we did many, many more variations of Amphigori, a musicale. And there was one particular off-Broadway version that we did where I'm wearing, you know, a giant Victorian dress and I'm sitting on a little cube and singing my little song. And then just in the middle of the song, I got up and started roller skating across the stage. Oh, right. Because <laughs> his characters are on skate sometimes. Matt, yes. are you a fan of Edward Corey? You know him, right? I don't, actually. Oh, my God. Enlighten me. One of the great cartoonists of all time. Claire, you take this one. You've been, you've performed his stuff. <laughs> so one of the places people know him the best is from um, Mystery Theater on PBS. He does these black and white pen and ink drawings. They're all the convictory. And so he used to have the opening credits and, you know, women would be fainting. And, but he has this great use of words. And there's something called Ashley Crumb Tiny's A is for Amy who fell down the stairs. B is for Basil, assaulted by bears, and that it goes on each one. My so favorite, and is and is for Neville who died of ennui, right? And he's got a little face looking <laughs> up over the window. This is why we got along, Jeff. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. No, but Matt, check him out. He's got anthologies. Amphigori is the, I guess, the most famous one. It's like one of those yeah. big, like the Far Side sort of collections. Just buy it. You will love it. You, but for, your kids and will it, love it. It's Victorian. Like from what what time period was all this written in? Uh, the last century. He, he's, oh, okay. he's contemporary. Uh, oh, but, okay. but that was sort of the era of which he he can connect with. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'll uh, check him out. And just one of the funniest cartoonists ever. Okay. So the another one then is uh, Saudi Arabia. It's coming up all the time. Our friend Chris Wink. Uh, who's been on the show, uh, uh, co-founder of Blue Man Group, is over there right now doing a, they're building a giant Wink World uh, and Area uh, 15 uh, thing in Riyadh. Like they're doing a huge immersive thing. What were you doing there? Or were you? I there? was, say that again? Did you go to Saudi Arabia? I did twice. Okay. Okay. Uh, I was 
part of a leadership program in 2018 and 2019 uh, as part of a team from the University of California, Berkeley. So it was a women's leadership program, although they were they didn't call it they didn't even want to differentiate it as a women's leadership program, just a leadership program. But it was um, strictly for women. And these were all professors from universities across the kingdom, mostly in STEM fields. There were physicists and uh, some for some reason, a lot of dentists. Um, and they had all been put into leadership roles. They were deans, heads of their departments. And, you know, they were academics and researchers. So, you know, a little like your daughter's team, you know, they had not thought about, okay, now I'm a leader, what am I supposed to do? So they were all invited to the King Abdullah University for Science and Technology. And I worked one-on-one -on -one with the women and I taught a class about presence and we sang and danced. And uh, it really, it really was a delightful experience. I felt really fortunate to hear their stories and about their work, and uh, very, 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 very interesting. Very cool. Unfortunately, her Omega workshop is for women. We'll have to wait till the next one <laughs> to get over there. Unfortunately for us. Unfortunately yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately for the women. Claire, uh, we're running a little short on time here. It's been. A delight to have you uh, and great to see you again. Now we got to do this in person. I got to get down and get some of those butterfly uh, cookies there. Um, again, listeners, um, she said a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff here, but go to Claire Licious Delicious <laughs> on Instagram. It will blow your mind. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's been great to have you. Great thanks. to meet you. Thanks, Stefan. So that's Claire Gustafson. She was a um, such a sweet, sweet uh, person 30 years ago. She is almost, and I don't mean this in a bad way. She's almost exactly the same person. What a what a what a great energy that woman throws off. Um, and it's you Agreed. know, kudos to social media because um, uh, she and I would have never reconnected again. So um, that was amazing. And what a wild career, right? Uh, it was really wild because she we really moved. has like, pers yeah, she's pursued the like the the things that have tickled Tickle her. her. Like, right? uh, yeah, that's why she's like, that's why she was a slam dunk guest on this show. And it was so it was so crazy because when we moved to the city, I moved to the city ninety two. I didn't know New York, and the next thing I know, I have opera singers that I can hear through the walls of the apartment. I was like, this is so <laughs> New York, uh, and um. Yeah, what a um and gestalt therapy. Uh, you know, if uh if I ever become a therapist, it'll be a gestalt therapist. Yeah, gestalt is what you know, I I have a degree in psych actually, and it's okay. it's one of those things I just very va vaguely remembered from from undergrad. And uh, you know, I I couldn't yeah, I was like, yeah, I guess it was those drawings. I remember drawings and talking about the the gestalt I think it was a guy, right? Like, I think it was sort of named after a theorist around, yeah, pay, you can only pay attention to one, one thing at a time. And it's, sometimes it's also the whole or, or something around the whole or the individual, right? It was mm -hmm. like, sometimes when you called it paying attention to the gestalt was paying attention to everything. 
which totally makes mm-hmm. sense. Paying a, paying attention to everything at one moment in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So something yeah. like that. I don't know. I should probably bust out my uh, first year psychology book and brush up on some of those. And for me in particular, definitely one of the things that happened in the last couple of years is I suddenly realized that I was, um, my awareness had sort of the edges of it had expanded. So I was bringing in more things than, than historically in my life. And it's essentially uh, looking outside the lines of whatever your, your intellect tells you is there and letting something else come in or something like that. But it's fascinating. I would go to her. As we call that an erosion of the gestalt. Right. No, we don't. I don't. <laughs> All right. So I've got one for you. All right. What is it? I, I, I noticed this when we were driving on the weekend. I saw we actually did a little detour and I never really thought about the fact that, you know, you're on your tour because, you know, we were with a team on a bus and then the detour is actually like it detours you. Like uh, maybe it's an obvious one, but it's, you know, it's kind of like, like yeah, it's Claire Gustafson's career has taken different detours. A few. She was on tour as an opera singer, right? Then on some detours. All right. I'll give you that one. I have a, I have another one. It's a subtle one that I came across. Um, All right. It was in the, it was reading Oriabindo, but this is not my Oriabindo quote. This is just from Oriabindo. He was talking about um, just in the middle of a sentence. He said, but this type of person has more movement, less status. And mm-hmm. it occurred to me in that moment that status is from the same root as static or stasis. And I said to Joey, I was like, wait, I thought, I always thought of status as a positive, right? He's got status. And Joey was like, no, it just means this is where we stuck you. Right? Yeah, this, so, is where, this is where you ended up. Yeah, to have high... You can have low status or high status, but it's basically where like it's, it's a place of non-movement, right? It's uh, suddenly I was like, oh, that's not good. Even if you have a, a status that you were after, if you, if it's static, then that's not the kind of status you're looking for. Yeah. It's where you are at a given time, right? It's what think of like levels in a, in a game, right? From a level one to a level 99 paladin say. It's like, what's your status? I'm at a 54 right now. I'm stuck in 54. <laughs> Call Claire Gustafson. She'll get you out of there. Uh, and on to, so to wrap up um, to the point we were talking about with Gestalt, but also as she was talking about the, the, the being stuck and the unstuckness thing, this is a quote from Oriabindo from his book, Essays on the Gita, which I was reading, or as I've been reading this week. He says, life is not entirely real until it opens into a sense of the infinite. Which basically means you got to look outside your own uh, point of view uh, and realize that there's much more than that. And as soon as that starts slipping into your awareness, uh, life will take on a greater degree of realness. I can testify to that because it happened to me. I get that one. I get that one because I think it's one. It's one line I can. 
I can take it in. <laughs> you know it's what? Not when a I quote that goes on for an infinite amount of time. <laughs> when when I found it, I was like, Matt's gonna like this because it's like a ten word <laughs> sentence. Thank you for listening. We will be back with you in a week. Bye bye. present moment traveling town to town the mystery of emotion right here right now right here right now whoa right here right now You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of The Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear. Oh, 